David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spade and Elliot Harris. Today we have one guest who will take up the entire show, but I think he probably could have gone on forever. Former college football coach Howard Schnellenberger. So what made you decide to write a book? Well, it's been uh, talked about now for 55 years. That's how long I've been in coaching and Every couple of years, they say, Coach, when are you going to write a book? And finally, I, and I kept saying that when I uh, lived the final chapter in 2011, I retired from football here at Florida Atlantic, and, well, I'll do what I said I would do. I'd write a book. And, and uh, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time. It's not something that just came up, the uh, thought that came to me. Yeah, here in two, uh, 2011. And it's a book, it's an extensive book. It starts in 1948 when I was a freshman in high school and carries through some 55 years to uh, the time I uh, retired and uh, became uh, and stayed on as ambassador at large here at Florida Atlantic. And it chronicles my life through uh, five Hall of Fame coaches who uh, were my mentor. And through osmosis, I gained all a lot of information from them. And um, and then in uh, 19, uh, 19, whew, let's see, 1970, 1979, I, I um, took, the, uh, took the job at the University of Miami for the first time. I became the head coach, so now I could pass the torch. Uh, to uh, those that uh, followed me, that I taught them through osmosis again, and so that's how the book came about. So, what's more difficult, being the head coach or being a writer? Well, they're both really tough. Uh, I had a lot of experience uh, before I became a head coach, so that uh, made it a little uh, a little easier. Uh, I've written a lot of stuff, but not in the form, in the form of a book. But, uh, luckily I, when I retired and sort of wanted to do it full time, fell into the hands. And I think we fell up with us right here in, uh, Boca Raton, who had been, uh, an editor on the Boca News and, uh, great fan and a great friend. Uh, he and I collaborated. He lived over at, uh, Fort Myers. I lived here. He had a day job. I had a day job. And still do, and uh, so it took us years. Took us two years to get this thing written, not because we couldn't do it, get do it full time. And I think we've come up with a, a good chance to have a great book. I see that you uh, grew up in Louisville. Was Kentucky the only college you considered going to? Say it again. Was Kentucky the only college you considered playing for when out of high school? 
Oh no, I was I once came all the way down to Miami, uh, had a scrimmage on Saturday when I got down there on Monday morning when we finished the scrimmage that week, they offered me a scholarship. I accepted, went back to Kentucky. That, that was at Christmas time when I went down there. Beautiful weather. I couldn't stand it. It was so nice. Went back up to Louisville and, uh, they didn't pay much attention to me. And then the schools up there started recruiting me. And I'm a, I was born in Indiana. I lived in Louisville, but I was born in Indiana and, uh, Bernie Crimmins came down from Indiana and I, I committed to him and, about that time, of course, Brian had, uh, decided that if those two schools wanted me, I must be okay. So he put the pinch on me, and uh, and he put so much heat on me and my mom and dad, you know, I had to go to Kentucky. And, boy, I'm glad I did to get to play for him for two years. Uh, and then uh, when he left the old A&M, I got to play for two years for Brian Collier. He had been a... Uh, assistant coach to Paul Brown up there for a lot of years, and now he came back to Kentucky as the head coach. And that uh, that's where my coaching career started, and I went through uh, Blanton Collier, through Coach Bryant, through George Allen, through Don Shula, and, um, and uh, as I said, Paul Bryant. So I, I'm, a, I'm the luckiest guy. I don't know of anybody else that's had five Hall of Fame coaches be their teacher. I guess you don't, when Coach Bryant came into your house and says, okay, we want you to come t- to Kentucky, I-, I guess it's very difficult to say no. Yeah, well, my mom and dad and I said no to Coach Bryant. And then he left, pissed, and then he came back, asked me to come back. And uh, he brought the governor of the state of Kentucky back, uh, <laughs> uh, Weatherby, you will. And uh, he took my mother out in the kitchen. Uh, and, uh, no, he took my father out of the kitchen and to talk to him about, well, it's okay to change your mind. God will take care of you. You know, it's not simple to change your mind. And they came out of the, they came out of the kitchen and said, dad said, well, it's okay with me if you change your mind. And my mother jumps up and says, no, you can't do that. That's, that's immoral. And his friend says, okay, and he leaves, and a week later, he comes back with the Archbishop Flourish, the Archbishop of the, of the, of the Catholic Church there in Kentucky, Louisville. And the Archbishop takes mom in the kitchen, and, uh, one ten minutes later, she comes out and said, God would forgive me. So that's how I got the <laughs> But he, he brings out the heavy hitters. Well, shit, he knows what he does. I mean, he, all of us guys, uh, not a lot of it. I learned a lot of recru- uh, recruiting things and habits and tricks and stuff. But uh, all of us, you you got to know the situation and, and make whatever adjustments you have to make to, to make the sale. Do you think the way that Coach Bryant recruited you and the way you turned him down and then finally agreed to go there, do you think that helped you get a job on his staff at Alabama? Yeah, I sure do. I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, he had gone from Kentucky out to A&M where he had that great team and had the Heisman Trophy, Trophy winner and, uh, what was that great running back out there? Uh, John David Crow. Yeah, John David Crow. And then a few eight years later, he goes to Alabama and he gets them ready to win the national championship by winning there in, uh, 
58, and by 61, they're ready to win the national championship. I'd been coaching at Kentucky for two years, so uh, he called me down there to to uh, help him uh, win the national championship. They had a quarterback named, I was your quarterback coach, uh, named uh, Pat Tramble, but he didn't have to throw the ball because it, Paul Bryant's defense that year held the Held their opponents to uh, two points, uh, two points a, a game, and uh, so all we had to do is score a touchdown and we could win. But uh, when I got down there, before we ever played that game, well, we got an opportunity to recruit Namath, and I read about it at length on the book how I had to go up to Beaver Falls after he had been kicked or after he had been disallowed to go to Maryland because of his grades. And his coach told called Brian and said, "Name uh, of in school here. He has to go home. Nobody knows about it. So if you get up there and get him out of the out of the Northeast before anybody finds out about it, he might get a chance to get him." So he sent me up there. He sent me because we had been in Mill. I had been in Millersburg, Kentucky, in my first fresh of my first year as a freshman, and. Uh, and uh, Joe Namath's brother Frank had been in that freshman class, and and we were friends together. And but uh, he had to go home when Joe's mother and father got a divorce, so he quit and went home, went to work. So Brian said, "You remember Frank?" I said, "Yeah, I remember. We were pretty good friends." He said, "Well, go get some money and go up there and get Namath and get him down here as fast as you can. You got about three days probably before they find out he's not going to Maryland." And uh, so I jumped on the plane, got up there, got him. I got found him. He was at a pool hall shooting pool, uh, the best pool shot there, by the way. And after uh, I, had, I had to stay up there too long because I ran out of money, but uh, finally got him to commit to take a visit to Alabama after about uh, eight nine days. But I'd run out of money, so I had to write a bad check to get him on the plane <laughs> and uh, get him out as far as. Uh, Atlanta, we were going all the way to Tuscaloosa, but we got to Atlanta in a plane that we had to transfer that Southern to go over to to, uh, to uh, Tuscaloosa. Broke down, so we had to spend a night, and so I had to spend another, I had to write another bad check. But I got him down there, and we got there while they were practicing, because it was right ready to go into the season. It was a pre-spring, a pre-game, pre-season practice, and Got him out there on the on the on the practice field, and Brian's up in the tower, and he calls him up there. And when the players down the field saw him going up in the tower, that nobody had ever been up there. No, no president of the of the university was ever been allowed up there. No governor of the state was ever up there. And here he this freshman out of high, high school, he calls up there. Uh, he's not up there twenty minutes. He comes down and. As he's coming down the steps, Brian gets his bull out horn and hollers out there right down there. Well, the boy said he wants to come with us. <laughs> and that's how we got him to go to school there. Well, if he hadn't said he wanted to, he'd still be up in the tower today, right? Well, see, we had to, we had to send him back home because you're not allowed to pay the, the boy's way home, uh, play, play, pay a boy's way to to uh, uh, enroll in school. You have to pay your own way that way. It's in the city rules. So we had to put him on a plan and send him back to Beaver Falls, which we did. And he came back uh, a few days later and paid his way back, so it was all right. But after he graduated, uh, word got out that he uh, took off and went to Birmingham where they stopped. Uh, 
before going to Atlanta to get on the plane to go to Beaver Falls. He got off at Birmingham and left the airport, and Brian's friends picked him up and took him fishing <laughs> and then sent him back over there. <laughs> Could you tell right away that, that Joe Namath was going to be somebody special? Well, everybody knew that he was the greatest quarterback in the East up there. That's the reason why, why, uh, why Maryland tried all summer long to get him eligible, but he wasn't so interested in school. But he never got good enough, didn't pass the test. In the last minute, he probably took it five times. How did you end up going yeah. to the? How did you end up going to the Rams? Then did George Allen recruit you? No, I was. Yeah, George Allen recruited me. You haven't read my book yet. You got to read my book. I got to read your book. Yeah, the, the passing of the torch. It's, at, it's on Amazon, and you, you can get it, and they'll send it to you in two days. So how did how did you end up with with George Allen? What was it between him and Bear Bryant? Was well, uh, see, I was there five years with. We won three national championships in five years. Uh, played in four, five bowl games. Won four out of five, and the only one we lost was to Texas, and that was lost because Joe Namath couldn't sneak it in from the one yard line on fourth down. And uh, and so uh, and so I was ready for a head job. And in fact, that was the only time I've ever applied for a job in my life. I applied to uh, Colorado. And I didn't even get a letter back or a call back. So I, something's wrong here. But then I realized that Charlie Bradshaw, Ryan's disciple, who several years before had been given the head job in Kentucky. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember the Fin 30 at Kentucky. Brian, uh, Charlie ran off a whole bunch of people and he ended up with a squad. Uh, most people have 130 on a squad. He ended up with 30. They called them the thin 30. They, they played good in the first quarter, but they couldn't play any longer. They had enough players. But unfortunately, a couple of kids died uh, because they worked so hard. And it became obvious that uh, Brian's assistant coach wasn't going to get a job for a long time. And so that's when I, uh, when George Allen called me, I was uh, amenable uh, to leaving Brian, which was a the dumbest thing. Everybody thought that was the dumbest move I could have ever made, but it turned out to be a great move because George Allen turned out to be a great coach and did a great job at the, with the Rams and won two division championships. And uh, and I was you know the offense, one of the offensive coaches with Roman Gabriel and Bill Munson. And uh, it so happened that uh, Don Shula was coaching the Baltimore Colts when we, I was out there with the Rams. And what makes that something special, Don and I were assistant coaches at Kentucky my first year down there. And it was Don's first year as a coach, under, and this was under Blanton Collier, a pro coach. So Don and I got to know each other really good. He left and went to the uh, – went to the Detroit Lions, I left and went with Brian. So when I got up there, we're playing each other for four years. We're playing the Colts, and they went. We play each other twice twice a year. They won the conference championship one, uh, two years. We won it two years. So then when Don, uh, when Don gets a job at the Miami Dolphins, 
he calls me and asked me to be the coordinator, and I jumped at that opportunity. And that's how I got down there after I was with uh, George Allen. But prior to Shula coming to South Florida with the Dolphins, Miami had not had a whole lot of success. They hadn't won more than two games in any of the three years they were in existence. And that's what made his uh, his his change, his presence down there so magnificent. In the first year he's there, he wins ten games and goes on and, and, and goes into the playoffs, gets beat by I think it was Pittsburgh. No, no, it was uh, it was uh, Oakland. We got beat in the first round of the playoff game, but the next year he comes back and uh, goes into the playoffs, wins all that, and gets in the Super Bowl. And gets beaten by Dallas in the third year. He goes and wins all of a perfect season, perfect playoff season. Instead of the small game, and uh, beats uh, George Allen and the Washington Redskins. You mentioned all the Hall of Fame coaches you coached under. Was there one that was your favorite? Well, Shula for for pro football and and Bland, uh Paul Bryan for college, they were the two. And, and you know, they still to this day are the winningest coaches. Uh, uh, Shula will never be caught uh, with wins and, and undefeated. Only guy to ever have an undefeated, untied season. And, um, and, uh, uh, Paul Bryan, you know, he, uh, uh, Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden passed him up, but he's been taking away some of their games, so I don't know where they they are or who's credited with winning the most. But Bryant, uh, he he not only won at Alabama, he won with Georgia Tech. I mean, with Texas A and M, he he had three uh, three uh, three bowl championships at Kentucky with Dave Pirelli. And he had one winning season over there at Maryland where he started after the war. So uh, those are the two that, you know, on just on their records alone uh, were the most dominant. Going into that 1972 season with the Dolphins, did you think you guys would be good, great, or a team f- for all time. Going into that last season? In- into that 72 yeah. season. Yeah, well, sure. We got beat and we went to the Super Bowl and then we, we got beat by a very good Dallas football team. Uh, we were devastated about losing, but we were pissed off that we didn't play better and, and we made a covenant coming out of that that we were doing whatever it would take to get back into the playoffs again. And to uh, replicate what we did the year before and get into the Super Bowl. And if we ever got to the Super Bowl, we sure as hell were going to kick the shit out of them. I mean, it wasn't anything. That was the stated word and, and, the, and the pact we made. And, and, and Shula orchestrated it just magnificently by keeping the tempo consistent through the whole year. Whatever made you go down to Miami? That program was in dire straits when you went down there. Because you know, when I left and went to when I left to Miami and go and take the head coaching job with the Baltimore Colts, I was up there a year and three games. I got fired by Bob Bursay on the sidelines. It was at uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, we had an altercation on the sidelines, and I. He told me to change quarterbacks in front of my team. I told him to get his fat ass back up in the stands, up in the press box where he belonged. 
Uh, he said, no, you're fired. And I said, you can't fire me now. you got to wait till after the game's over, and then you can fire me. And now that's on national television, when my wife and two kids are watching it from uh, Baltimore. And uh, so when uh, I'm down there with Don, and as my job comes over, I thought about, well, I'll never get a job in pro football as long as I'm assistant coach with the Dolphins because those owners stick together, and no coach has ever dressed down an owner like that on national television. So that's the reason why I said I better get my ass out of here and get a college head job. And Miami, after I looked at it very closely, was looked to me like a pretty good opportunity. Uh, you know, my, the Hurricanes didn't have uh, much for a long time. They, I think they uh, were still holding on well, to the image. They were uh, George, George Myra and Ted Hendricks were about all they had to hold on to uh, well, historically. They, were, they, were, they, were, they had voted to go out of, to go out of football. They were voted to go to the Division One AA. And uh, when I went over there, they uh, decided they would table that motion for five years and give me five years chance to win the national, you know, to to, to be successful. And uh, that's when I did my evaluation of the product and found out, well, shit, we got the best stadium in America, Orange Bowl. Uh, we got the best recruits in America right here in South Florida. We got the best schedule in America. We got Notre Dame. We got Notre Dame and, uh, and uh, Ohio, I mean, Ohio State and, and, and uh, Oklahoma and and Florida, and Florida State. Hold on, man. No problem. So, uh, so hell, we got all the natural resources to do this. All we got to do is do it, and so it came to pass. And you got a certain quarterback from Pennsylvania who kind of helped you, and Jim Kelly. Well, he was already there. I knew he was already there. I knew he was going to be a great one. I just, I just had to wait for the team to get uh, good enough before I would start him. I didn't, I didn't start him until uh, the eighth game of the year, and uh, that was up at Penn State. And I didn't tell him that I was going to start him until his pregame meal. That's two hours before kickoff. And when I told him he was going to. Start the game. He went to the bathroom and threw up, and I said, like, "Oh shit! What have I done here?" But I found out later he did that every time in high school. Anyway, he oh, okay. when he got, he did it when he went to Buffalo too. But winning that game against Penn State up there when they had just made their stadium took it up to eighty five thousand, and we beat the dog out of them. Uh, it was something like eighteen to seven or eighteen to three, and uh, we were on our way. That was a pivotal game. Yeah. How, how were you able to convince the uh, Miami area kids to to stay around? Because for a long time, the Southeast Conference as well, well as other I conferences. Did it with ten, I, I did it with tender, loving care. Uh, uh, we 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 uh, didn't. We I said we're not going. We're not going to go all the way up the state of Florida. We're not going to go up east like my University of Miami was doing all the time. They were flying over all the good players in Florida to go up to Pennsylvania and New Jersey and all those places and bring back uh, inferior players. We just said we're going to concentrate on three counties, Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Yeah. And then we'll do a little bit out over on the other side of the state and, and Lee and, and those counties over there on the West Coast. 
and then the next year we would annex in the still of the night. Uh, we would go up a few miles till finally in our third year we got all the way up to I four, and then I drew a line across there and called that the state of Miami and said we had built a, the Great Wall of China there. We wouldn't let any of the carpet beggars come down from the north and steal our kids. And we would keep them Florida and Florida State at bay. And we did that. And we we got to a point in the third year that we were recruiting the best players in America. And that's the reason why we were able to create this dynasty that lasted for 15 years. And then, you know, you went, what was winning the national championship in 83 like? Say that again? What What was winning the championship in 1983 like? Well, after the, after the, uh, after the, uh, exaltation of winning and, 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 and realizing what that meant, and with after the after the people gave us a parade downtown Miami and had had every city south of of uh, West Palm to come down to to the courthouse square and they and present us with the keys to the city after all that. All of that thing happened, and into the weeks that followed, it was it was like. Uh, an experience that only a coach can 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 experience, but only I don't know if any coach has ever experienced anything like it because of how far we had to come and how what we did for the have-nots of football all over the world. After this brief break, we will be back with part two of our interview with Howard Schnellenberger. You're listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. 